live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company. Oh, I'm working for Steve Cofield, and it's just it's just nonstop. Out of, it's a nonstop. nonstop. In spite of being quite chubby and not eating healthy, I don't have enough donuts. I should eat more donuts because I love them. So Willie's all, Willie's all amped up. Yeah, now I'm ready. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. It's Friday, Friday. Gotta get down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend, weekend. Friday, Friday. Getting down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend. Party and party and party and party. Yeah! All right, here we go. Friday, 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 Friday. Willie Ramirez is here with us jared is running the show adam hill is here as we're at uh, ti golden circle sportsbook and bar and i'm in south bend getting ready for unlv and notre dame which we'll get to in just a little bit willie how you doing adam how you doing what's going on what's happening how you doing touchdown jesus <laughs> I yell, I... yell notre dame things yeah, yeah. Go, keep going, keep going. The entire, the entire one. I've already asked him if he was looking for fortune, working on the field. If he felt like Rudy walking through the tunnel. Are you going to touch the the sign? It's I have funny. no idea what what I have no idea what you're talking about. It's funny oh, that, the tunnel and the sign. Yeah. yeah. Did you? It's funny you said that. Did, you know Kelsey Olson? Sure. She, I. I share the story. Know, does the audience know Kelsey? Kelsey Olson is part of the PR team at UNLV. She's one of there Mark's assistants. So she she did the whole slap the Mark sign, play like a champion, went down yeah. the stairs, and then hit the oh, leprechaun. Wow. And she put it. So, of course, I shared it for her because I've known Kelsey since she was a student. So it's, I got a kick out of her getting out of kick being in there in that stairwell. And, of course, a former UNLV guy who Adam and I both know we saw, I believe, last night. Uh he had to. He had to comment and sort of crap on my post. And Oklahoma started it first. Okay. Well, <laughs> I also will tell you uh, they're fired up for that game there, Steve. I'm. I'm. You know. I'm glad that you get to be there. I wish we were there. It'd be cool to check it out. And uh, the alumni are ready. They are ready for this game because I spoke to Matthias Farley, who was on the Raiders, oh Notre boy. Dame alum. Oh boy. And I said, man, big game tomorrow. UNLV, Notre Dame. He said, oh, that's who we're playing. <laughs> well. <laughs> I was trying to I'm get a good. A lot of, I'm, I was going to say I'm guessing a lot of Notre Dame faithful and former players have kind of lost track of the schedule because sure. it's been a weird year for them. So not up to uh, their normal expectations. Do you think that? Do you think that the ones though that maybe let's say they lost track and then they, you know, it's midseason, right? It's it's October. Do you think they were? We're playing who? What? What? It's a little. It's a weird. Who's spot. here? It's a weird spot in the schedule for sure. And I, I will say, men's uh, basketball. Oh. Another uh, another Notre Dame alum, Alex Bars, who was on the Raiders. They have three. Uh, Notre Dame alums and Alex Bars was kind of asking for a scouting report, so he was uh, he's in, he's ready, he was wearing Notre Dame gear all week, getting ready for the game. Can you tell what Adam's probably working on for today, tomorrow's Raiders report? No idea. Yeah, no clue. Sure, no clue. Adam has right, the Jared. best Raiders report today, by the way. Anyway, let's go. Okay, well let's get. It's the three on <laughs> Cofield and Company. I, I do want to hear about it. I do want to hear about it, but. Uh, Coming out of the gates, I know uh, Willie's very much into this team because he's uh, completely a hometown Vegas guy. The LV Phillies are back tonight, coming up in about 90 minutes, 437 first pitch. Uh, I know, Adam, you were saying you think this is the best of the two series. Uh, is it? That's not simply because it's 1-1 versus 2-0. 
Uh, no, I mean, I think it would be the most competitive coming in. I think it's it's intriguing storylines. I think, look, I, I know that, you know, you are, you know, concerned with the other series for sure for, you know, calmer <laughs> reasons. But um, I, I, I think I speak for a lot of baseball fans who are kind of sick of both the Astros and the Yankees. And I don't need to see them. So I, I think the Phillies... The pot, um, the Phillies, of course, a local storyline. You know, two two Las Vegas guys on the team, a lot of a lot of excitement there. San Diego, kind of a local team, a little bit. You know, right down the road, and yeah, you know, I admit up for being biased as well for betting the Padres to win the World Series. So uh, everybody has their little biases, but I, I think this is just a much more intriguing series because it's teams teams we don't see very often. Yeah, I love I, I agree with Adam. I think it's it's the storylines behind. The Phillies and the Padres. The Phillies, you know, the way they closed the regular season, and it's amazing they backed into the playoffs, but they had a tremendous run on their home field, which helped get them in down the stretch. The Padres upsetting the Dodgers um, in the NLDS to get to get here. Um, you know, again, it's it's those two teams that, you know, everybody wants to see. Would ra- you know, those are the two teams I think a lot of – Baseball fans would have rather seen being upset. I think people are happy when the Dodgers get upset, the Astros get upset, the Yankees upset. So when you have the underdogs per se, the Padres and the Yan- or Padres and Phillies playing to get to the World Series and the storylines that revolve around both teams, it's more intriguing. It's more fun. It's more fun to talk about underdogs about teams that aren't supposed to be there. So, you know, and and you nailed it. I mean, for me, I'm a Dodger fan, but I couldn't be more ecstatic about the Phillies for both local guys, Bryce Harper, Bryson Stott. And I may or may not have a little action on the Phillies tonight. Nice. Uh, lots of NFL today, lots of college football, uh, more baseball. We'll get to Vegas Golden Knights as well. Big trade yesterday in the NFL. Christian McCaffrey on the move. These kind of trades don't happen a whole lot. We'll really talk about this a lot in the four and five hour. Um, I saw a tweet a little while ago concerning the chance that McCaffrey could play this week. Um, it was from Adam Schefter. Let's see. McCaffrey scheduled to fly to San Fran today uh, when he'll meet his new teammates, beginning to learn the playbook. It will be challenging to have him in uniform Sunday against the Chiefs. But McCaffrey did go to Stanford, <laughs> and anything is possible. Okay. I, I saw that. Uh, should we do, should, by the way, should we do this for everyone? Like, Robbie Anderson traded cross-country to the Cardinals. Playbook. He went to Temple, probably not. I mean, I, and by the way, that's not that's not a swipe. Temple's actually a very cool. But yeah. if it's Adam Schefter writing it, I could see him writing it and, and thinking like Temple sucks. He must be a moron. Stanford McCaffrey must be a genius. So yeah, he's he'll pick up the playbook in a day and a half. Not not the book that I've heard on McCaffrey either. Uh, but uh, I, that's I, what I, I was that's what I was yeah. thinking as well yeah. because just because you go to the school. Uh, you know, down the road from me here in South Bend, Notre Dame, or Stanford, or even your school, Michigan, which, by the way, if there is anyone who's more awkward and misspeaks at times and puts his foot, foot in his mouth more than Adam Schefter, Adam Schefter went to Michigan. Michigan. You know, it, <laughs> that little conversation <laughs> sort of reminds me of the movie The Program. When... Uh, the actor is Dwayne Davis. Well, it was an Alvin Mack. Remember where he where he's got the tutor and he can't answer a question. He's like, he asked they're asking him different geogra- geography questions. This and he doesn't know. And the, but then all of a sudden they shoot to the to the film room. And he goes, Alvin, what's your this? He goes, 
do this, do that. Do, he, he knew his shifts. He knew yeah. this. If he does that, if he does that. He, and then he says, and at the end he just goes, kill everybody. So playbooks <laughs> to football players, yeah. it, you know, it don't matter what school you went to. You know football, your playbook is your Bible. We should, we should point out that, that tweet I think was from I think it was from last night when the tweet ha- trade happened. Uh, yeah. McCaffrey arrived in San Francisco today. Uh, as we know, we've talked about this. The media can only be on the field for like the first five minutes of Friday practice, uh, so you don't get to see a whole lot. And McCaffrey was not on the field when the media was there, so he did not practice. But he apparently passed his physical while they were on the field and then joined them at practice. Uh, it, what it sounds like is that they're trying to put in uh, red zone packages for McCaffrey, and it mm, sounds like okay. he will play in the red zone, maybe in goal line situations, but I don't think it's going to be an extended role because even though he went to Stanford and he's a genius, clearly, uh, it is tough to learn a playbook in a day. Well, I'm glad you mentioned goal line because uh, red zone has been an issue on both sides of the ball for the Raiders. We're going to get into the Raiders. We're going to get into Josh McDaniels and kind of – self-assessing and what he came up with during the bye week tomorrow at 9 a.m it's throw the flag with willie ramirez and gooch live from the treasure island right here on espn las vegas in at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company. Great spot at Treasure Island. Free parking. Willie and Adam Hill are hanging out at the Golden Circle. Cofield out here in Indiana getting ready for a UNLV football game against Notre Dame. So, Adam, uh, Josh McDaniels had some time off just like everyone else did. So, what did he come up with? So, did some self-scouting. You know, clearly that's what teams do oftentimes when uh, you have some time off. You have a little bit of time to, you know, think and maybe even overthink about what's been going on. Uh, And he said one of the things he wanted to think about going into it was, hey, what's working, what's not, and maybe what what just won't work. What have we done that is just never going to get better and maybe we should go away from it? So I thought that was interesting. But uh, when he came away from the bye week uh, and he started talking about what did they find – uh, that they can improve on to, to turn around this one and four season. He said red zone efficiency, offense and defense, which is something we've talked about almost every day. Uh, he said cutting down on penalties, which is another obvious one that we've talked about quite a bit. And then he said, make some plays in the return game. And it kind of jumped out at me because it's not something we've really talked about. But then I looked, only one team in the entire league has less combined punt and kickoff return yards than the Raiders. And it's the Steelers. The Raiders have 115 yards combined on punt <laughs> returns and kickoff returns this year. That's pretty amazing. Willie, what's the deal? I I don't know where his where his mindset. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure. I I don't know whether he's grasping its raws or, or as I think Adam, the word that just stuck out to me with Adam, it was overthinking. You know, I don't know when you're one in four with the talent that you have on a team like that. I, I have to wonder if, you know, you begin grasping at straws. If you start one, you know, if you start overthinking it, um, it's, it's, it's certainly, a mystery to a lot. I mean, with the way that they play, they put together, what, a couple of decent quarters, one decent four-quarter performance. But for the most part, um, I don't know if he's grasping at Traws. I, I, I'm very intrigued to see how they come out 
uh, this weekend, this Sunday against the Texans. Specifically, in in I have some areas that that where I think Houston is outplayed. The numbers tell it. Um, so I, I I don't know where he's coming from with with that you know that reasoning in terms of special teams uh, or the return game. Um, I wasn't out there today, so I, for his second availability, yeah, I don't know if I did, you followed I did follow, up. Yeah, I did today. I said, hey, look, I you know going back and listening to what you said the other day, I, I talked to some of the returners and. Um, and then I, you know, I wanted to follow up and say, what, what specifically do you want? And he said, well, not to be reckless. Like if a kick is eight or nine yards deep, you just take a knee. They've only tried to return three kicks this year. <laughs> yeah. uh, they, so they haven't got much out of them, but they also haven't really tried very often. Uh, so I said, do you want them to try to take chances? And he said, no, uh, but there are opportunities to be had. But he also did point out, like, look, the we've never seen punters as good as they are right now. Uh, hang times in the league are you know, I think he said uh, the teams that they've played have averaged around five yards of hang, or excuse me, five seconds of hang time per punt, uh, which is you know astronomical, uh, and it just wasn't done before. So I think part of it is just there's no opportunities. He wants to try to find opportunities when they're there to try to take advantage. One is D, you know DJ Turner is a guy that could be used uh, as a returner. He's been on IR. Uh, Amir Abdullah uh, is a, a veteran returner, but. Um, he just hasn't met, had many chances. Keelan Cole is a guy, you know, I talked to him yesterday and he said, you know, one of the issues with returners in general uh, is that most of these guys were such stars in college that they weren't returning punts or kicks. And then you bring them to the NFL and, and you know, now you're a guy that's on special teams and are required to do it. And you know, there's not a lot of guys that specialize in that and that have done it. So I, I think it's an issue in a lot of places. Uh, but I think in particular for the Raiders, they want to just – not necessarily force it, not say, hey, we're going to find, you know, just return a kick because we want a, a big play. Uh, but when they're there, to try to take the best advantage they can of those situations. But um, it was also, to me, maybe something they didn't necessarily focus on and identify because there wasn't really specifics. But I think they just kind of looked at the numbers, the tr- more traditional numbers, not the analytic numbers necessarily, and said, hey, we are last in the league or second to last in the league in this. Let's find a way to get better. And I think that was kind of the – uh, the the basis for him saying anything about it. What's the deal with the penalties? I mean, look, they're, they're, they've <laughs> it's been something that's been a, a problem for a long time, obviously yes. uh, for the Raiders. But they're not as bad as usual this year. But they are putting themselves in some tough spots, and I think a lot of them have been offensive line penalties, which is very frustrating for an offense for sure, and especially for Josh McDaniels, an offensive coordinator, who you know you're you're put behind the sticks a little bit in terms of your play calling and what you want to do. You want to get in a second and third and shorts, and instead it's like, all right, we get six yards on first down. Awesome. It's second and four. Well, now it's second and 14. He's got a holding penalty. or It's it's third and two. Well, now it's third and seven. He had a false start. And I, I think it's it's not necessarily the number of penalties, and they, they don't necessarily jump out at you on the stat sheet, but more when they've happened and what kind of situations they put them in. Giveaway time, 364-1100, We're going to get into the Golden Knights and their 4-1 start in less than five minutes, but let's get you out to a game. Jared's got a couple of tickets right now for the Toronto game right around the corner on October 24th, a 7 o'clock puck drop at T-Mobile. Tickets are available at AXS.com. Check out the flight deck. A really good value there. Standing room only, but it's all you can eat, all you can drink. I've, uh, I've done that before. It's a really fun experience. Caller 7 right now gets two tickets to go check out the Knights against Toronto. That's on October 24th. Jared's going to hook you up. 364-1100. 
Join Cofield and Company on Mondays for the live 2 to 5 show at Twin Peaks in Henderson. Big beers for under 4 bucks. Select appetizers are 2, 4, and $6. Come hang at Twin Peaks for Monday Night Football. at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company. Cofield, Willard Ramirez, Adam Hill. All right, Adam and Willie, injuries for the Raiders before we get to the Golden Knights. So Waller is out, and what about Renfro? So I, I talked to Hunter Renfro uh, a little bit ago. He sounds like he's fine. I mean, he's listed as questionable with a hip injury that happened uh, yesterday. He didn't practice yesterday, but he basically said, look, we were taking it very, very easy. Uh, we wanted to be cautious with it and make sure, but it's fine. Uh, he, he seems to be pretty much insisting that he's going to play. Uh, doesn't seem to be a whole lot of concern on his part. It was just more one of those things that was like, oh, what is this? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay, we're fine. Uh, that's what it kind of sounded like from Hunter Renfro. So I, I think he's fairly confident he's going to go. I mean, if he was – fully going to play with no question they wouldn't have listened it was questionable but um i would say it's a questionable that is probably one that would be probable if that was still an injury designation what about i, I noticed today's injury report so you, matt collins has been limited all week sure john brown limited we just got done talking about special teams and it's not the return game because but mac if you remember the week after his big game we all went over to talk to him but and we talked to, to to mcdaniels about how important he was in every facet and mcdaniels was like if he could play every single snap every single special team snap, he would be so he's an important piece and with renfro questionable we don't know waller out mac becomes a part is did you have a chance to catch up with him because i because he ran out of there the other day quick and i didn't have a chance to talk to him yeah i i didn't talk to him much today uh was, was over by his locker for a second but um, I just feel like he's playing. Yeah, I, he's, <laughs> he's, I, he's like, I can't imagine yeah. you're going to hold Matt Collins. His, he's going to have to be broken. Yeah, if his leg's still attached, he's playing. Yeah, that's, 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 yeah. That, that, that's that would that would summarize it best. Also on there, so Chandler Jones was not listed on the um, was not listed on there. Jermaine Illuminor, Dylan Parham, they were not listed the last couple of days, but they were on the injured list today, but Illuminor was a full participant. Chandler Jones, Dylan Parham did not participate. Um, Jones is one that stuck out, stuck out for me in terms of not participating. Now, I had a chance to talk to him, and then you talked to him, I think, yesterday. We had our own little conversations with him. Um, I, I sort of think, you know, th- and there's no status on him, so, th- I mean, they're going to be available. But hopefully it's not – and it just looks like he rested – but um, hopefully those three will be available. The last thing that these guys need is an extended injury report, being even if they're dinged up in the slightest. Yeah, and that's kind of the benefit of the bye week, too, that guys were able to get a little bit healthy. Uh, same on the other side, Houston, a fairly clean report as well. So that is, uh, that's, that's what you hope for with a bye week. I mean, I think a lot of teams would rather have it later in the year yeah. uh, so that they could you know get healthy later in the year when uh, you know there is a lot more attrition. But right now... Uh, they, they, you know, the bye week is when it is, and uh, they were able to get fairly healthy with the exception, of course, of Darren Waller. Am I wrong in reacting to VGK's strong start? I wanted to mention injuries here by saying, you know what, this is what this team can be when they're healthy. Is that a big part of it, or is it Cassidy has just, you know, 
he's taking him over the top this early. What do you what do you attribute Willie the fast start to? I think that we're seeing the potential of a team that's healthy. As you nailed, I mean, last year this was a team that was banged up, lost a ton of man games, as they call them. I mean, it's you know we're seeing a very healthy squad perform, and I you know I've said this different shows throughout the last week and a half is that we're we're seeing scoring up and down the lineup that first opening game in LA right the big guns come out then the second game it was the rookie and the rookie goaltender right the the uh, the guys that were with the Henderson Silver Knights last year in a one nothing win over Chicago so what you're seeing is the talent up and down last night it was Eichel sparking a four nothing first period so I just think that you're seeing a very healthy squad responding in a positive manner under a new leadership. You know, I don't necessarily like. I don't know if it's if you attribute it immediately to Bruce Cassidy. I think that if this was a healthy team playing under Gerard Gallant, Peter DeBoer, or Bruce Cassidy, and they're finally all they're just finally all healthy, they're going to come out fire in the first couple of weeks. Look at the talent on this roster, Steve. I said. Yeah. I said all last year and all throughout the offseason, what, that if that team was healthy last year, they would have been easily a playoff team, maybe made a deep run. They would have been one of the best teams in the league. All they needed to be was healthy. I said that many, many times, right? You did. Yep, you did. Um, this is not that. Okay. The, the, they've played nobody. Oh, okay. <laughs> this, the, the schedule is very, very favorable. So tomorrow we'll be telling is what uh, well, Adam is saying. Well, see, I think they've already played two games. I believe they've already played two games, including last night, against teams that were on back-to-backs. And Colorado, again, tomorrow is off a of back-to-back, and they've already got injuries. So, I, look, it, it's a much, much better test for sure. Let's, let's, let's be honest right up front. Much better team for sure. But they're also in a negative scheduling spot while the Golden Knights are in a positive scheduling spot. So let's hold off. Like one of the things I'll say is, you're learning a new system, a lot of changes that are being made. Cassidy's coming in and p- putting all these things in. It would be very easy to not beat these teams and to say, "Well, we're still learning, we're still building." They are getting these wins while they're learning the system, while they're building. Really, really good. I, I don't want to take away from that and make it sound like oh, I'm just shooing that away. That's important because guess what? The two points they got last night against a team that was on a back-to-back and they stomped on in the first period when they were exhausted, they're going to count later in the year. Like Those yeah. two points still count. So I don't want to take away from the fact that they are winning while they're learning everything, and I think they're showing what they can be when they eventually do learn the system, they eventually do get comfortable, everything is in place for this team. But let's not completely overreact and not pretend like they right. played a very, very favorable schedule to open the season. But this was a team a year ago that lost some horrific games. We kept looking for you know, a winning streak here and there, and you're like, oh, going to Philly, that'll be easy. No, I mean, it happened over and over and over again. Uh, we're at Golden Circle at Treasure Island today. We do the show every Friday, 3 to 6. Willie and Gooch are back there tomorrow, 9A to 11, and they've got breakfast rolling out early in the morning to watch the college football. Some of the uh, breakfast specials include the breakfast sandwich, the breakfast meat lover's quesadilla, the chicken chiquiles. And also the chorizo con papas breakfast bowl. You got to get down there. They've got Bloody Mary specials in the morning. Uh, you call it cocktails. Awesome place to watch sports. Treasure Island, Golden Circle, Sportsbook, and Bar. Coming up next, college football preview with Michael Felder. Join Cofield and company on Fridays for the 3 to 6 show at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. There's nothing like a football Friday at Treasure Island. <laughs> Hang in at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company. 
Time for our weekly college football spot. A lot to talk about, especially last week and now the landscape of college football and the playoff from uh, Four Hard Downs and the Learfield Podcast family. It's Michael Felder. I want to jump right into it with Bama and Tennessee. What a back-and-forth game. Tennessee edges out Bama. Was that all about the Bama D or the Tennessee offense? I think it's a little column A, a little column B. I think the reality of it is, is that's the offense that Nick Saban doesn't want to play. That's a style of football he doesn't like. It's a brand of football he doesn't like. And it's a brand of football that no matter how good you are, you can be beat. And that's the same. Listen, I think Kool-Aid is one of the best corners in the country, Kool-Aid McKinstry. Uh, he's also one of the best punt returners in the country. But guess what? You're going to get beat if you're playing outside the numbers for an entire game. Just listen, it doesn't matter if you're Namdi Asamoah, uh, Darrell Revis, Deion Sanders. If they put you out there all the time, you're going to get beat uh, from time to time. It's just the, the way that football works right now where – Offenses have the upper hand. You can't put your hands on them nearly as much. You can't um, control them at the line nearly as well as you used to be able to. And so it's a lot harder job to play out there on an island. And Tennessee makes it even harder by spreading the whole thing out. So, yeah, and honestly, the question I guess I got for you, who else could do that to to Alabama? The only other teams that I think can do that to Alabama are Ole Miss and Ohio State, right? Probably if Ohio State's all healthy. At wide receiver, and I got to give you credit on Tennessee because you called it and you kept talking about splits, 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 splits. So yeah. you nailed it on that one. Uh, I want to get to in a couple minutes here about Bama bouncing back because I think they're going to be fine. But I liked the in four hard downs. You had three notes from that game. Uh, you talked about how to attack Alabama. Don't max protect. Get the running back into the pattern to make them cover. Push the ball vertical to make Bama back off. And in this case, quarterback Hooker on the move as a threat. Yeah, so here's the thing. This is the way that I think about football all the time. And I was talking, actually talked to Kevin Tumlin for a field of 12 last night. But the big thing that I think about is we're looking at, there's 11 guys on defense. If you put four wide receivers out into the pattern, they're going to have five guys that have to play them because they're not going to play cover zero. So five guys are going to be one high safety. Then these other two guys are going to be up, be in the mix as well. So that's five guys gone. So now you only have six guys that can get the hooker. Now we move that running back and take that running back and put him in the pattern. And now there's another guy that's gone. So now it's five on five. It's five on five, five on five. That's not, that feels good. Five on five feels good. Five offensive linemen, five defense, five guys on defense. But now you have Hooker, Hooker as a threat. So now it's only four on five. It's four on five because you have four guys that can rush. But that fifth guy, he's got to spy Hooker and figure out where he's going. So he can't come get the quarterback. So now we're looking at a four-man rush. Six guys in coverage, one guy trying to spy, but that's not the coverage that you want, and that's not what Alabama is comfortable doing. So you eliminate their ability to get to the quarterback, and they did a really, good, really, really good job of doing that. Yeah, I love how simple that sounds because you got to go one, v, you know, one v one on a lot of the offensive line spots. You got to have a yeah. good enough offensive line, and your quarterback has to run like Hooker. But uh, maybe it's a, a blueprint for teams that are super talented to move yeah. forward with. All right, so. Can Tennessee make the college football playoff? It seems like they're in the driver's seat here because even if they lost to um, Georgia, yeah. they'd be out of the SEC title game. And it's almost a coveted position in the SEC. Don't make the game with one loss. Yeah, they are They are in good a good spot. They can still lose. They got an extra game on everybody else. They have a game to lose. And it can be to Georgia. It might be to Kentucky also. I think we, we, got, we can't sleep on this Kentucky team. They're going to play a brand of football that Tennessee isn't comfortable playing, which is just – super physical the whole time and maybe Kentucky doesn't win but they beat Tennessee up to the point where they can't get out and run the way they want to the next week against Georgia so that's going to be interesting uh, but yeah if they they can make the playoff absolutely 
it's very interesting to see where we have, I'm going to call it four teams that are in the same space, essentially. And you know how kind of media works as well and, and DMAs and all this stuff. But there's no real difference between Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, and Clemson. Those four teams are all kind of in one space, <laughs> crammed in there. And they're all really good, and, and they're all figuring things out. And I'm very curious to see how, if Clemson is able to finish undefeated, but then we have, you mentioned the Tennessee with the one loss to Georgia. Georgia maybe having one loss to Alabama in the SEC championship game. And Bama just being, it's a Uh-oh. nightmare. Uh-oh. You throw in an undefeated Ohio State, possibly an undefeated UCLA, who I'm very excited to, to get to. So there's a lot of pieces at work right here. And so that's why I mentioned that they're, they're all in one place. Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, and Clemson. That's all what. No matter which one of those teams gets in, all those people that live in that Eastern Tennessee, Northern Alabama, or Eastern Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, South, they're all watching the game. I'm just curious to see who gets in. Well, maybe this will be the impetus. And we're talking to Michael Felder at In the Bleachers, college football expert. Maybe this will be the launch for moving up the 12 team playoff even earlier if you have a couple yeah. of teams that are you know clearly qualified in the mix with one loss or unbeaten who miss out on the playoffs. I just want to give everyone a little lesson. In uh, odds making, first of all, I looked at CBS Sports. They've got seven experts. Every single one of them uh, for the college football playoff, one through four, does not have Alabama in. That seems yeah. insane to me. Now, the funny thing is when you go to the odds board, Alabama actually is the fourth choice to make the playoffs behind Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, and they're only plus 160. So seven CBS experts don't have them making the playoff, and they're the strongest plus favorite on the board at many books. I think the biggest thing with Alabama, I, I think there are two games that I'm interested in. I'm not that worried about them against Mississippi State. I think they will take care of business in that football game. But Ole Miss does scare me because Ole Miss is going to do some of the same things that, that Tennessee does, or they're going to run the ball even better. And then obviously they got to play Georgia. So in theory, they got three tough games. Oh, excuse me. They got three tough games and three games. And, and so. You could put Mississippi State on the board as a third game. But they have two for me, Ole Miss and Georgia at the end. Those are going to be very interesting contests. What a close to the season. This is going to be awesome. One of the other stories that uh, you know has developed in a couple of different directions, Tennessee wins the game. Uh, first of yep. all, the students rush the field. I watched one video where a guy was like right in front of the brick wall as uh, many women were trying to get over the wall, and it was actually a uh, you know, stomp fest uh, potentially. Yeah. Uh, the school, I think, jokingly, maybe not. I don't know. How did you read the request for money from the community, from the students, for the goalpost? Um, yeah, I don't. I, I think it's one of those things because they they are going to get fined. Like that at Tennessee, the SEC is trying to stop field storming, but it happened. They're going to get a. They're going to have to pay a fine. They're going to have to replace those. I don't know. Like they've got more money than God. You just pay the money to put the goalpost back yep. up. But I'm. Hey, I'm. I'll say this, I've been a part of two field stormings as a player. They are terrifying to me. Yep. They are so scary and dangerous. I know folks want to feel the jubilation. They are I'm not a fan. I don't think people should be on the playing surface. And then I don't know if you saw the the clip, but they did find the person that cut up their field, which is People go insane at these things. I remember when we beat North Carolina State, um, the T.A. McClendon game in 2004, and we had people get their helmets stolen. We had Gatorade coolers stolen. 
people were taking every anything they could get their hands on, they were taking. And in the case of Tennessee this past weekend, somebody literally took a part of their field. Wow. Well, as you mentioned, as a player, it's scary because it's a one-way street. Literally, people can grab at you, punch you, kick yep. you. I'm and you have to kind of have to be afraid to even defend yourself. I don't know what happened because the video is so grainy and the still shots suck. Um, this kid Burton from Alabama going off the field. I, I don't know if he hit uh, a young lady, but um, I, I actually I think the SEC. I don't want to be the no fun police, and both of us sound like it. Uh, and and rushing the field is like part and rushing the court is part of the college experience. It is really cool for the fan, but for the players, it puts them in an un, uh, you know fair position. I actually think the fine from the SEC probably should be even bigger. Like to like yeah. I think what is it a hundred thousand dollars? That is nothing. To yeah. Tennessee, like maybe it needs to be in the millions. And again, I don't want to ruin the fun, but it's it's a dangerous situation, and there's something really bad is going to happen at some point. Yeah, it's not. Listen, I, I, I this again. I'll go back to my like my own anecdotal stories. One, when we played NC State, I had my helmet in my hand, up in the air, up in the air, up in the air. Great, 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 great. And fans were coming, and then I got back into the locker room, and my in between my eyes, I had a inch and a half long cut no. from a fan, basically trying to hug me, but headbutting me and cutting my face open uh, with it on his, like, I think on his glasses, basically. Oh, wow. So I got back into the locker room. There's, like, blood dripping down my face. So I don't, so one, don't like that. Uh, two, the um, the Miami game, and this is, I, I'm saying this as being a part of the winner in both of these situations. Not the loser. Not the, not the one where fans want to get in your face and tell you that you suck and blah, 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 blah. I'm coming at it from a winner where these are my team's fans in our home stadium, being excited. But when we beat Miami in 2004, we knew. We are like, okay, so you know what we got to do? One, you do not want to be the guy who gets their helmet stolen. Because <laughs> guess what? They will come for you. The equipment team, they do not feel bad for you. Why was your helmet under the bench? Yeah. Why didn't you have your helmet in your hand? Yep. So you don't want to be that guy. The other guy you don't want to be is a guy like me who gets their face cut open by a fan. When we beat, when we beat Miami – Everybody had their helmets on. We all put our buckets on and we walked because we didn't. It's it feels great, it looks great, but we wanted to celebrate together. Us, the people that put the work in, right? And we we walked straight through that crowd. And I think that's when I watched the video, that's what it more looked like to me. I know it was grainy, but it looked like he was just trying to get away. And guess what? If you've got on shoulder pads and a helmet and you can you're pushing people and moving people out of the way. It can go really bad for those other people. But we put our helmets on, and we walk straight through to get to that locker room so we can have our cigars, have our beers, have some champagne, do whatever we're going to do. We walk straight through everyone, and when you've got your football equipment on and somebody else has got on shorts and a T-shirt, it doesn't always go – it's not going to go well for them. It's Michael Felder here on Cofield and Company. Go to itsfelder.bulletin.com for his – Right up each week, multiple entries often during weeks about college football. One of the things you wrote about this week that I thought was interesting and we can build on is you talked about uh, a trend in college football uh, hiding. Who are they hiding? Are they hiding the tight end? Are they hiding other people on offense? Yeah, I, I love it. It's these little kind of clear-out routes and you hide guys, you sneak guys kind of behind. And so it's been really interesting. We saw Oklahoma do it with Theo Weiss on, a, on his touchdown uh, basically, they ran what looked like a stalk block from Drake Stoops to a to a skinny post, which corner carries, safety carries, and then the money they show they flash a screen with the number two receiver. Number two receiver flashes a screen. 
the money comes down, the, the nickel player comes down, and in that void where these where two two defenders are going up high into the middle and one defender's coming to the, to the line of scrimmage, they sneak that third guy in, that motion guy. They sneak him in, the number three, and that's Theo Weiss. They hit him. Good, Great play. Awesome. Same thing we saw with Syracuse. Syracuse does um, – they go tackle over. So instead of it being center guard tackle on both sides, it's center guard tight end, and then the other side is center guard tackle tackle. And what you end up with is – the defense doesn't adjust correctly because you're supposed to move over and make that guard the center. They don't move over. And then what you get is the tight end running a little – you get the, the tight end running a, a little skinny, running up the seam. Everybody converges on him. You get that running back leaking out. And the running back leaks out on a wheel route. Again, another touchdown. So it's just good football. Uh, it's been really – it's something I saw noticed a lot last year from UCLA, actually, Greg Dulcich. They use that a lot to get him open. And I think it's kind of just – through coaches' clinics, through guys watching film, it's kind of proliferated this college football world. Everybody's running it. Alabama's running it. We're seeing a bunch of teams do it. And essentially, number three should never be your problem when it comes to uh, – you count from the outside in. So the outside receiver's one, the, in, the next guy's two, and then three's usually in the backfield or le- unless you have that trips. But three should never be your problem, and they're making three the problem uh, via motion, via hiding, via that sneak route. Yeah, when you mentioned Dulcich, I, I immediately thought of, uh-oh, tomorrow I get to see Michael Mayer, which is going to be quite interesting because the uh, UNLV is a little beat up, especially at strong safety, so they could yeah. be going to their number three strong safety. So you mentioned UCLA just a couple minutes ago. This yep. is a big matchup. UCLA, you know, for the first time in a long time, has something on the line here. Uh, looking at the numbers to get into the playoff, I think they are 11-1. Uh, to 1. So, hey, they're unbeaten. They control their own destiny. What's going to happen at Oregon? Uh I'm gonna, I want to find out how tough Oregon actually is. That's the big thing. Wow, okay. I know UCLA is a tough football team. They play hard. When they beat Utah, I was like, oh, wow, these, these guys are for real. And, and they, they want to punch you around. And so I think that's something we always think about Chip Kelly and this beautiful mind and calling these amazing plays. But what he's got is a team that wants to run the football, wants to punch you in the mouth. And I think that's going to be really cool to watch go up against this Dan Lanning Oregon team, a team that – has gotten progressively better every single week. The first week was a disaster. Absolutely. Did not go well for them. After that, they've gotten better every week. Bo Nix has come into his own. He's got and, – and, and I was talking to Kevin, Coach Kevin Sumlin about this. He said, look, Bo Nix moved as far as he possibly could from, Alabama, from the state <laughs> of Alabama yeah. and still played good college football. And I think he feels a little bit more comfortable out there without the weight of – being this high school star in the state of Alabama and then going to Auburn and not being able to get them to turn things around. And so I think he feels comfortable out there. He's finding his weapons. And the big thing for me with Oregon is going to be them stopping this run. I know we like that Oregon defense. We like the players. I want to see them stop this rushing attack. Um, uh, Zach Charbonnet is a heck of a football player. And then you throw in the fact that if you play action to Charbonnet and you can hit Jake Bobo over the top, you got a problem, so they're going to have to figure out a way to solve all this. Last week, a good bounce-back week for Utah and Oklahoma. Who's got a better chance to kind of be a player sort of in the national scene, but at least in their conference to upset the apple cart? I think that Oklahoma with Dylan Gabriel is a completely different football team. Completely different team. And so what they're looking at is playing the role of spoiler. Uh, that's going to be their big – that's what they have to do. They're going to have to play spoiler right now unless until things kind of – until teams absorb enough losses for them to be in contention. So I can't put that three-loss team as the group that's going to get it done. I think that Utah can still win the Pac-12. 
They have one Pac-12 loss. They could still win the Pac-12. They just got to make sure they keep all their ducks in a row so they can get to that rematch with UCLA. Is TCU one of the teams that uh, helps out Oklahoma by losing this week? Uh, how real is TCU as they take on K-State? I, I love them. And I don't think TCU is going to lose. I think they're going to have to be beat. And I don't know if K-State's going to be explosive enough to do that. That's the biggest problem for me. TCU is incredibly explosive. Quentin Johnston, I think right now, is probably the number one wide receiver off the board in the NFL draft. The guy is an absolute monster who's got the job done consistently. They've got a couple other pieces there that are also performing. So I think that TCU is legit. I think that they are explosive. And the key for them is just going to be continuing to maintain that explosiveness. Max Duggan has finally come into his own as a guy that we've seen for, what, three, four years. And he's finally putting it all together consistently as a guy who started on the bench. He was on the bench in game one. And he came in and he said, hey, this is my team now. So he's ready to rock and roll. Michael Felder, he does college sports now with Learfield, also hand in the dirt. He's also a hell of a chef. Do you have all your stuff yet? Do you have a big week of cooking with uh, with yeah. your full complement of equipment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got all my stuff. I just made pasta sauce uh, yet, or two days ago. Nice. Got my sauce in there. Got it married, ready to rock and roll. And you got the grill set up. So I've got my one grill. I got to get another. I got to get a smoker, uh, something to cook with some charcoal on. But I got my gas grill set up. So we're ready to go. We're, 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 we're going to make wings this afternoon and uh, just kind of relax. I've got a pedicure in 20 minutes with my kids. <laughs> so do it. we're going to have a good weekend. All right. The petty's coming up. I need two more minutes. Syracuse and Clemson. Can the Orange pull off the upset? I don't know if they've got what it, ha- what it takes offensively. That's the problem. Their defense is legit. They will slow down Clemson. I don't know if they've got what it takes offensively, so I'm going to say no. I think Clemson is still coming into their own, but here's the thing I noticed about Clemson, and this is something that I kind of – when I start to look at what the problem is or why can't teams be consistent, here's the thing. Clemson doesn't have a single player that averages four catches a game, and it sounds good. People are like, well, they're spreading it around. No, that means you don't have a go-to guy. Right. You don't have someone to throw the ball to, and that's a problem. I do like their their addition of the tight ends, but the reality of it is, is I don't I don't know who they're going to throw the ball to. So it's going to be it's going to be tough sledding for them against Syracuse. But I think they do get the win. All right, Michael Felder, enjoy the pedicure. Thanks for all the time. It's always great, man. I love talking to you, Kofi. You guys take it easy. Rolling on here is uh, we talked to Michael Felder a little earlier in the day. He's our college football insider from Learfield. Willie Ramirez is here as well. We're going to bring in Adam Hill in just a couple seconds from Twitter Island. But let's do a giveaway right now, 364-1100, We've got our silver and black after party that is at Crazy Horse 3. It's their party. We're out there with Fox Sports Radio. John Von Tobel will be on the scene. We've got a couple of VIP packages we're going to hook you up with. Caller 7 and 8 right now. Caller 7 and 8, 364 364-1100. It's VIP treatment. You get in free. You get a table for three or four of your friends. Uh, Jared's also going to hook you up with uh, either beer or a bottle. It's his choice. Be nice to him. Call her 718-364-1100-364-1100. Next hour, we're going to get to the big four at four, so we're going to talk a little bit about the Midwest and my experience so far. Adam Hill is a Midwest guy, I guess, when he wants to be. And I was uh, uh, hanging around South Bend today, Willie, so we'll kind of get into the, uh, the eats, the vittles there, but Going into the going into the stadium, kind of cool. That's a cool stadium. I'll just say that. I can imagine. I can imagine yeah. tomorrow will be even more 
you'll feel the emotion with the energy with the crowd in there, the, the, the fight song, everything involved with Notre Dame football. We'll get into the emotion, and if I'll feel the emotion. I wonder on that one. Four o'clock. <laughs> Four o'clock hours on the way. Cofield and company at Treasure Island, the Golden Circle Sports.